The following is a memorial service in loving memory of Dr. Robert G. Dendalk, held on August 9, 2007. Dr. Dendalk was the second president of Westminster Seminary, California, and the chairman and honorary chairman of the Board of Trustees. The Reverend C.J. Dendalk gave a message entitled, With God There Is Forgiveness, for which the scripture reading was Psalm 130. Dr. W. Robert Godfrey gave a message entitled, Confidence and Comfort in God's Salvation for which the scripture reading was Romans 8, 31-32. The Reverend Jack Huttinga gave a message entitled, Serving with Perseverance, for which the scripture reading was Hebrews 12, 1-2. For more information about this message, or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at www.westcal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We sincerely apologize that there was a technical difficulty during the first three minutes and ten seconds of the live recording, which was, however, corrected. Remember, as celebrate this afternoon as we seek the blessing of the Spirit with us. In many ways, Bob planned the service today reading some of his favorite scripture texts and singing some of his favorite songs, and uh, he particularly asked that uh, there be three meditations this afternoon uh, based on the three sections of the Heidelberg Catechism, one on sin, one on salvation, and one on service. And so we look forward to this time of uh, meditating on God's word and seeking the comfort of God's promises. Thankful to Daphne Jaspers on the organ, Blaine Memoir on the piano, my son Robert Godfrey with the singing later. I want to thank also uh, on behalf of the family, all of you, for being here. Uh, C.J. Dendolf will be the first uh, preacher this afternoon. He's the second cousin of Bob's, a graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, and uh, was Bob's pastor in Michigan in his last years. We also are very glad that uh, Jack Huttinga is here with us. Presently, a Christian Reform pastor in uh, Manhattan, Montana, but before that, a pastor of the Denbos in Hanford. Uh, I'm Robert Godfrey. Uh, I succeeded Bob as president of Westminster Seminary, uh, California. I worked with Bob 33 years and found in him always a reliable source of encouragement, wisdom, and faithfulness. And it's our privilege to be able to take part in this service today. We begin by these words of promise, these familiar words from our Lord Jesus Christ who said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let us join our hearts together. The Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you as the one who knows all things and therefore knows the trouble of our hearts and the pain and loss that we have experienced. And yet we are filled with thanksgiving to know that you are the resurrection and the life. And that those who believe in you, though they die, yet shall they live. And we are thankful to know that our dear brother in the Lord, Bob Dendol, 
shared that faith with confidence and assurance, both in life and in death. And we pray now, O Lord, that you will be present with us by the power of your Holy Spirit to take the promises of your word and apply them to our hearts, that we might find comfort and hope in you. Hear us then, for we pray in Jesus' name. Let us uh, join together in singing the first uh, hymn printed in the program, uh, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. Let us stand to sing together.
please remain standing, and we'll sing uh, the next hymn, another favorite of Bob's, My Jesus, I Love Thee, I Know Thou Art Mine. As was mentioned at the beginning of the service, my name is Reverend C.J. Dendalk, and I had the privilege to be Bob's second cousin, as well as 17 years ago in God's providence to stand right here on this very platform 
and walk up these stairs here and receive a diploma from President Bob Dendalt, at that time president of Westminster Seminary. But most of all, to have the privilege as a pastor for, for Bob to observe him firsthand not only live well in the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ, body and soul, in this life, but also to hear, to observe, and to watch him leave this world with a victorious and a triumphant faith and with a profound love for his wife and for his family, for his grandchildren. It was on Sunday, July 29, when the family gathered around Bob and Dalk, 15 of his grandchildren, his children, and their wives, and we had the most blessed family worship of singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and of reading scripture and some of them that God enabled Bob to join in with us. And what a privilege and what a challenge for all of us to live in that kind of faith and that kind of victory in Jesus. As was mentioned also earlier, Bob Dendalk anticipated, prayed, and planned for this service. And he requested that the service follow the themes of the Heidelberg Catechism of sin and how we're delivered from our sin and misery through faith in Jesus Christ and how we live a thankful life of service for Jesus Christ. Bob asked me if I would preach on sin. And so I'm going to read from God's holy word from Psalm 130. What you're about to hear now is the very word of God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. May the Holy Spirit, who inspired the word of God, help us all to find comfort in the God of all comfort in our Lord Jesus Christ. Bob Dendalk lived and died in the joy and the comfort of knowing that he belonged, body and soul, to his faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. From his childhood on, he was reminded of the faithful promises of our God, signed and sealed to him in the covenant sign of baptism. And he experienced, as all Christians do, the three themes that were taught in the Heidelberg Catechism, what a Christian must know in order to live and die in the joy of Christian comfort. Number one, how great our sin and miseries, our sin and misery are. Second, how we are delivered from our sin and misery through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And third, how we are to thank God for such a deliverance. When Bob asked me to preach on sin, he said, CJ, you know what I mean. 
Remind the people that Bob Dendalk was a sinner saved by Jesus. And to be very honest with you, in the last few days, it was very difficult and challenging to write a sermon on sin. Being in awe of all of the accounts and testimonies that I've read and heard and learned of how God used Bob Dendalk in a mighty way to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to encourage seminaries and boards, prisoners, and many other missionaries and kingdom causes in this country and around the world. And yet, we understand why Bob Dendalk was the way he was and how it is that God so powerfully used him because Bob Dendalk knew that he was a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus. He knew, as the psalmist says here in Psalm 130, that if he should stand before a holy God, he would not be able to stand. But with God, there is forgiveness. The psalmist begins with a cry. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, for mercy. Do you remember several years ago in our country, there was a little girl in Texas. She walked into her backyard and she fell into a well. And all she could do was cry out for help. And it seemed as as a nation, we watched our televisions and we prayed and we cheered on the rescue workers who were drilling an alternative tunnel to save this little girl who was way down in the depths of this well. And then with a collective sigh of relief, We were so filled with joy when we watched that little girl come from the depths of that well and she was placed into the loving hands of people who were there to rescue her. The psalmist says, out of the depths I've cried. And these kind of tears are the tears of inward anguish and of distress of a soul, of a sinner burdened and convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin and of guilt and of misery of the offense to a holy God. Out of those kinds of depths, the psalmist cries to God for mercy. O Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? Through the knowledge of God's law, we come to know the truth about ourselves and the holiness of God. Man looks on the outward, And by nature, man thinks wrongly about his or her true condition. We think that we are better than we actually are. Man also thinks wrongly about the truth of God and his character and the way God works. Sinful man thinks that God evaluates people like he grades on a curve. He takes all of humanity, looks at the best of works and the best of people and the worst on this end and the worst of works, and then somehow averages it all out, and we hope to find that we ourselves maybe might be a C or a C plus or a B when we're all evaluated. But God does not work that way. A holy and a just God gives us his law, and by the standard of his law, he will judge the living, and the dead. O Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? The best of Christians and the best of their works are all defective. 
They're either wrong in motive, incomplete in performance, not perfect in principle or in the best of manner. And the eyes of man see no fault in them, but weighed, you see, in the balances of God, a holy God, they would all be found wanting. Viewed in the light of God's holiness, they would all be found full of flaws. Like a drop of water from a lake. We may look at a drop of water from a lake and it may look clear as crystal to us. But when that same drop of water is put under a microscope, we're stunned to see all kinds of impurities and living organisms floating around in a single drop of water. And so it is, you see, with mankind. Even our very righteous deeds, the prophet Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. Lord, I cry to you. If you were to keep a record of sins, who could stand? All have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. And when the Holy Spirit convicts a soul, a sinner, of the truths of the word of God, of the holiness of God, and the depravity of man, then you see there are cries, many tears, heartfelt cries for the mercy of God. And Bob Dundalk cried in his lifetime too. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that even the best of his deeds were still tainted and mixed with sin and that he himself could not stand before a holy God. But Bob Dundalk also rejoiced that with God, there is forgiveness. This means that there is no sorrow so great, no depth so low, no sin so bad that God cannot hear a cry for mercy. For a sinner who cries out, convicted by the Holy Spirit, turning from sin and faith and repentance, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God hears such cries And he sees those tears. All of us have been watching the news. And I trust that we've been praying for miners in Utah, some 1,500 feet down into the ground. And in a few hours, just before we came here, we were told that they are drilling to get a two-way radio down to miners who are trapped way below the earth. That they may hopefully hear signs of life The God of the Bible is so great that we could be in the depths of inward pain and anguish, convicted of our sins, if we cry out to Jesus for mercy, no matter how great our sins, how great our misery, God hears. As long as we're in this side of heaven in the day of grace and not in hell when it's too late there, it matters not how great we've sinned, When the Holy Spirit convicts and we turn to God for mercy, there is forgiveness with God. And notice what the Bible says so plainly. The forgiveness is for any sin. With God, there is forgiveness. The text does not say there's forgiveness for this sin or those sins, but not that sins. But there is forgiveness. You cannot sin too bad, too horrible, too depraved 
for God to forgive through Jesus Christ. And that forgiveness is not only inclusive, but it is also present. It's now. There is forgiveness. It's not as if somehow on the judgment day you hope to find forgiveness. But there's forgiveness now. There is forgiveness. And what a wonderful comfort it is for anyone who's turned to God for mercy that we don't have to hope or lack assurance that God will be forgiving to us. There's forgiveness now. And what a blessedness to know that through Jesus Christ in his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross for his people, all who turn to him and cry out for mercy and trust in Jesus have forgiveness now. Those who believe in Jesus are not condemned, says John 3, verse 18. Not, shall not be condemned later. It's now. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that forgiveness is with God. But with you there is forgiveness. We may not find forgiveness with people. And on the other hand, maybe people will forgive us. But there is forgiveness with God. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all impurity. Bob Dendalk, he knew as he was taught from the Bible with the Holy Spirit working in his life, that he had grievously sinned against all God's commandments, that he had never kept any of them, and that in this life he still had a sinful nature in which he had a struggle against, an inclination towards all manner of evil. Nevertheless, out of sheer grace, without his deserving of it at all, God the Father granted and credited to him the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if Bob Dendalk never was a sinner, as if he had kept the commandments of God perfectly all his life, and all he needed to do was accept this gracious gift of God with a believing heart. Then the psalmist teaches us all that those who cry out for mercy, those who find forgiveness in God through faith in Jesus Christ, it changes their life. The psalmist says, therefore, you are feared. Bob Dendalk had many gifts, as you all know. And that's why you're here, one of the reasons you're here. And God, through his grace and spirit, touched our lives by the incredible gifts Bob Dendalk had. Gifts of business ability combined with sound theology. One of the greatest gifts that Bob had was the ability to relate to all kinds of people, whether they were seminary professors, business professionals, or prisoners in this country and beyond. I like to read a few comments from a prisoner or a former prisoner, Mark Kaysen, a wonderful brother in the Lord who wanted this to be read at Bob's service. I came to know Bob in the early 1990s when I was a lifetime inmate at Corcoran Prison in California. Westminster Seminary used to send students uh, to 
West, uh, to Corcoran Prison and other prisons to preach the gospel, and sometimes Bob would go there as well and preach in various prisons the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Mark writes, when I moved from Corcoran to Soledad Prison, I wrote to Bob and told him that we had nothing by way of a library. Within a few weeks, we had a complete reformed library. For several years, Bob himself went in to preach at Avenal Prison, and I know the prisoners were thankful and grew under his ministry. Bob had a wonderful love for prisoners, and I know that the Dundalk Foundation sends books to hundreds of prisons around the country, and they've touched countless lives just like mine. I know of two current pastors and one ruling elder who are ex-prisoners that were hugely affected by Bob Dundalk. It wasn't, however, these material things which made me consider Bob as a giant. It was him as a man. As you all know, he was a businessman, seminary president, father, husband, and grandfather. He was a very busy man. However, he always, without fail, answered my letters from prison personally with encouragements and loving kindness. I am left wondering how many other prisoners received the same. I know of several. Each time I went to the parole board, Bob wrote a wonderful letter supporting my release. A few days after I was released, I was surprised to receive a phone call from Bob. Friends, there is a reason I'm sharing these few things with you. Bob was the consummate humble man not seeking the spotlight. Our generation has its shares of giants in the faith, men like Dr. Boyce, Dr. Sproul, and others. While God uses those men through writing and radio, he used Bob behind the scenes. Bob, through his prisoners, Bob, through his love, touched many, many lives without the help of the radio and without writing books. He visited the prisoners, the sick, and supported others who did the same. He is a giant of our day, and I'm blessed for having known him. And I considered him one of my fathers in the faith. Yes, the angels are rejoicing in heaven, but I feel a great loss and will mourn a little while longer. Mark Kaysen. And this is just one of numerous examples of how God used Bob and Dalk a sinner who knew the grace of God, who could not stay quiet, who feared God because he had the forgiveness of God and he wanted others to know and to hear and to come to that point in their life where they also would place their childlike faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I want to end with this. As a pastor to Bob and Dalk in these last months and couple of years. Bob not only feared God and was compelled to advance the kingdom of God in so many great and wonderful kingdom causes, he did not neglect his family. He taught this wonderful forgiveness and this love of Jesus to his wife, to his children, and to his grandchildren. And this truly is a mark of a great giant of a man a humble man who knew the forgiveness of God. And here in Escondido, California, I know that many of you here are tied to Westminster Seminary. It would be honoring to Bob 
to this family, to Nellie, who worked so hard with Bob to follow the call of God to help establish, recruit, and develop Westminster Seminary. It behooves us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, particularly the work of training pastors to know the Bible, to know Christ, to proclaim this glorious good news from heaven that though we are great sinners, greater than we even know, we have a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And with him there is plenteous redemption. We've all watched in the last week or so outside of Minneapolis a bridge in the middle of a homeward commute crumble and fall apart some cars and leaving lives plummeting to the depths below. And we've learned that this bridge gave way because of fatigue. The Bible tells us there is only one bridge for sinners way down in the depths of sin and misery. One bridge to Emmanuel's land, our Lord Jesus Christ. And whoever cries out to him and places their trust in him will know that Jesus will never fatigue. He is the eternal God, the Son of God. It behooves us all to examine this day where we are placing our trust. Are you, this day, sinner, placing your total trust in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, who alone can save us from the depths of sin and misery and give us great and eternal comfort, forgiveness of our sins, and a life of thankful service, fearing God, until the day we see him face to face. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, Father of all mercies, thank you for giving us your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love, grace, and ability to hear a sinner cry, to cry for mercy out of the depths, and by your Holy Spirit to draw them to Jesus, to place their trust in what they've come to learn of the willingness of Jesus to save sinners to the uttermost. We thank you again, Heavenly Father, for Bob Dendalk, for all the means of grace given to him to not only teach him and convict him that he indeed was a sinner too, but that also he had a great Savior promised to him and that the Holy Spirit enabled him to put his complete confidence and trust in Jesus. And thank you for the very effective, loving, gracious, humble ways that Bob Dendalk feared you and brought this good news to our lives, to seminaries, to Christian colleges, to prisoners, to people here and far beyond. And Lord, we ask for the same grace to help us be faithful in bringing this glorious good news of salvation in Jesus to sinners like us too. Have mercy on us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us now again sing to our God a wonderful hymn that expresses our helplessness in ourselves and our only hope in Christ, not what my hands have done. Let us stand to sing. Our next scripture is another favorite of Bob's from Romans chapter 8, beginning our reading at verse 31, where the Apostle Paul, in great confidence in Christ, declares, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now Robert Godfrey will sing for us Psalm 23. My shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. My soul he doth restore again, and me he to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness in for his own name's sake. Yea, though I walk in death's dark veil, yet will I fear none ill, for Thou art with me and Thy rod and staff me comfort still. My table thou hast furnished In presence of my foes My head thou dost with oil anoint And my cup overflows Goodness and mercy all my life Shall surely follow me And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The confidence that David expressed in that psalm was precisely the confidence that Paul expressed in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The confidence of David and the confidence of uh, Paul was a confidence that we all saw so much in the life of Bob Dendalk. As I was thinking about my working with him, my talking with him, my praying with him over so many years, that was the one word that kept coming to my mind, confidence. His confidence in God. Thanks to Bob and the Board of Trustees, I've had something of a sabbatical in these last few months, and I've been working on a little book on John Calvin, an introduction to his life and thought. And I remember a few weeks ago, after spending a day reading Calvin and being struck again by the the profundity and the wisdom of his thought, pausing to say, if someone asked me how to sum up the theology of John Calvin, what would I say? And after I'd thought about that for a while, I concluded I'd sum it up this way. He believed in God. Now you might think they shouldn't pay my salary for very long to come up with a summary like that. But you know, there are many, many people who say they believe in God. But how often do we meet somebody whose whole being, whose whose life and words radiate that confession? impress us that that is the real core, the real truth, the real driving confession and reality of their life, that they believe in God. It's true of David speaking in Psalm 23. It's true of Paul speaking in Romans 8. And in my experience, it was true of Bob Dendalk. He had that confidence that God was with him. And and this passage was precious to him because this passage speaks so much of that that confidence in God. God who was with him in the first place in God's power. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Greek word literally says, if God for us, who against us? The God who created heaven and earth, the God who has called many of us to worship all of our lives with the words, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That God who made heaven and earth and has brought all created reality into being by the word of his mouth, that God is so for us that there is no one and no thing that could conceivably stand against us. And knowing that that powerful God was on his side was a huge part of the life, the character of Bob Dendalk. He knew that Satan could not defeat him. He knew that cancer could not defeat him. He knew that God was accomplishing his sovereign purpose in his life. And therefore, whether he lived or died, he had the confidence that he was the Lord's in Jesus Christ. He was confident that God's purpose for his people never fails. And that is how he lived and died. Those of you who know the seminary know that over the years there were from time to time financial 
trials and worries at the seminary. And I was always so struck that when those times would come, Bob would smile and say, God will provide. Now that's easy to say. And it can be said tritely. It can be said thoughtlessly. It can be said irresponsibly. But that was never true of Bob. It was always said in faith by Bob. He was confident that the Lord would provide for his work, for this work, and for all the works in which the Lord was operating. He was confident in God's power. And he was confident in God's love. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, to death for us all, how will he not freely in him give us all things? The God who shows his love for us, fulfills his love for us in Jesus Christ, is a God who surely will use his power for us. That's what Bob Dedbulk believed. That's how he was confident in life, because he knew he had a faithful Savior, who in all circumstances would cover his sin, would bless and strengthen him, would use him in his service. And that confidence in the love of God went with Bob in the good days when knowing the Lord was a blessing and was easy, and it was a confidence that sustained Bob in the most difficult days. We remember the terrible pain of his life in the death of his grandson, Wyatt. His confidence didn't take the pain away. But in the midst of that pain, his confidence never wavered that his God was sovereignly powerful and sovereignly loving in all the circumstances of his life. That confidence in the love of God, I always felt, came through so powerfully in his prayers at table when you felt that he was coming as an intimate of God into his very presence, he was confident in the love of God. And as he was confident in the power of God and in the love of God, he was confident in the blessings of God. Will he not graciously, in Christ, give us all things? Bob's life was a life of of many, many, many blessings. He would be the first to say that. A wonderful family. Children, daughters-in-law, grandchildren who have loved Jesus Christ and served him. His life was a life of good churches and faithful pastors. Important to Bob. His life was a life of opportunities to serve and to work and work that he enjoyed and loved. His life was a life with wonderful friends. And the Lord blessed Bob in a rather unique way, I think, to be a friend. I have good intentions to be a friend. I have good intentions to stay in touch with people, but Bob actually did it. I have good intentions to write letters. My mind is filled with letters unwritten. Bob wrote letters, wrote letters of encouragement, wrote letters of advice, was wise and reliable 
and stayed in touch. And many of us have been spiritually blessed by the letters that he wrote while he was sick. Letters of testimony to the grace of God. Letters that exuded that confidence that he had in the power of God, the love of God, and the blessings of God. And he was thankful, thankful for all those blessings. But you know, these are not the blessings to which the apostle primarily refers in this passage. The apostle is referring to all the spiritual things that God so graciously gives us in Jesus Christ that he goes on to talk about who will bring any charge to God's elect? Who will accuse us? What Satan will arise against us? And Paul's answer is no one can do that for it is God who justifies and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was a blessing Bob knew, cherished, and taught. Who will condemn us? No one. Because Jesus Christ has died for us. Because Jesus Christ was raised for us. Because Jesus Christ lives today ever interceding for us. Because of Jesus Christ, no one can condemn us. Jesus has delivered us. And who will separate us from the love of God? Paul has a long list of the things that many people would believe might separate us from the love of God. But isn't it interesting that he begins with the words, shall life or death separate us from the love of God? Shall life with all its blessings and distractions separate us from the love of God? You remember in the Old Testament, whenever Israel had it good, they became forgetful. And whenever they had it bad, they became complainers. There was no satisfying them. But Paul says those in Jesus Christ, life, either in its goodness or its badness, will not be able to separate us from the love of God. And equally death will not be able to separate us from the love of God. Bob knew that. Bob looked forward to his heavenly home but he would have liked to stay a little longer in his earthly home. But he knew that death in God's time would not separate him from the love of God. And so he knew the blessing of justification, deliverance, preservation by the God whose power and love he had known all his life. This text was part of Bob Dendulk's confidence, and it remains with us to be part of our comfort, because as this text inspired Bob in his confidence, so it needs to inspire us for our comfort. Bob is not separated from the love of God, indeed enjoys the presence of God in a way that we can only very dimly anticipate, but we are separated from him. And that's hard for many of us, especially hard for Nellie and the children and the grandchildren. But, God, but Bob would say to us, God would too, God and Bob would say to us, 
Find your comfort here in the power of God. Know that God was not defeated in the death of Bob Dendonk, but God accomplished his purpose. And the God who is never defeated in his purpose will comfort you by his power. And God will comfort you by his love. He surrounds each one of you with the love of Jesus Christ. He calls each one of you to continue in faith, to trust in the Christ who will be your savior in life and in death. And God would comfort you with the promise of his blessing, that you too will have peace with God, that you too will be delivered by the life and death and prayers of Jesus Christ, that you too will be preserved from the destruction of every enemy, and that you will be preserved not only for this life, which for every one of us is transient, but will be delivered and preserved for eternity. We stood at the grave in Michigan and were reminded that there's a great day coming when for everyone in Christ the graves will be opened. A new heaven and new earth will arrive. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sin will be wiped away. There will be a world in which righteousness dwells. And the Lamb will be all the light of that world. May God comfort you with that truth. The last letter from the family said that Bob, just before his death, had been working on a final letter where he had been reflecting on Psalm 23. And no doubt had in his mind that wonderful promise, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was Bob's confidence. And that must be our comfort. And God grant that each one of us may have that confidence in knowing Jesus Christ that we will indeed dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how thankful we are for the promises of your word that can fill our hearts with confidence and with comfort. How thankful we are for the life of Bob Dendal by which he testified over and over and over that he believed in God, that he trusted in you as his heavenly father for the sake of Jesus Christ. And now, heavenly father, comfort us by the work of your Holy Spirit, applying the promises of your word to our hearts that we might indeed confess with all the saints that because of Christ, we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen. One of the favorite hymns of Westminster Seminary, California, is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's been sung at every graduation ceremony of the seminary. It was one of the favorite hymns of Dr. J. Gresson Machen. Let us stand and sing together this hymn to God's praise.
we've come to that part of the service that deals with gratitude, with our grateful service to God in response to the amazing, gracious salvation that we have received. The third part of the catechism is summarized in the third part of question and answer one, which asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I was struck powerfully by that third part of the answer. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Part of our comfort in life and in death is that by God's grace we are transformed into people who are willing and able to serve the Lord. Bob was, by God's amazing grace, a grateful servant of the Lord. And Bob was also, by God's grace to me, the best friend I have ever known. I've only known Bob closely for 14 years. We first met right here in this church at the seminary graduation in 1988. My brother-in-law was graduating and I was asked to offer the opening prayer. And while we were standing back there in the fellowship hall, Bob introduced himself to me. And um, I knew that he was the incoming president of Westminster Seminary and I asked him the first of many impertinent questions that I've asked Bob in my life. I said, how can a man without a doctorate be a seminary president? And um, true to his humble spirit of service, he simply explained that he had the kind of gifts that the seminary needed at that particular time in its presidency. Bob Dindalk's life was all about humble service. Four years ago, he received an honorary doctorate from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And afterwards, Bob hosted a dinner for those who uh, were there. And I had the privilege of being there at that graduation ceremony. And um, Bob humbly reminded me of my impertinent question. <laughs> he had his doctorate. We became friends when he and Nellie moved to Hanford in 1993. I was his pastor, of course, but he was my encourager and my sharpening stone. He had a way of making me rethink things that I said in sermons, a gentle way of doing that that would cause me to reflect more deeply on the word. As friends, we especially enjoyed fishing together in the Sierras and on the Sacramento River. And my, my very last phone call to Bob was on Thursday, uh, July 26, two weeks ago today, to tell him that while I was on vacation in Alaska, I had caught a huge salmon, 58 and a half pounds. And uh, he, he, the very first thing he said was, oh, I envy you. And uh, we only talked about the fish for another half minute more and then uh, then he said, uh, I'm failing, and uh, it's not going to be long. Last week, Sunday, Bob gave another testimony of his unselfish servant heart after that wonderful 
worship time together or at least sometime during the day. He had told Nellie that he had to hang on for a while yet because he didn't want to ruin my vacation in Alaska. You see, we had driven there and it's a long, long ways. I was blessed by Bob as he accompanied me on pastoral visits, as he provided counsel as an elder in the church at Hanford. And perhaps one of the biggest blessings he gave to me was getting me involved in prison ministry at Corcoran State Prison. Um, it's a ministry which continues to this very day in the Montana State Penitentiary to be a source of enormous delight and blessing. Um, and, and I have to say that through the past five and a half years that I've been in Montana as a pastor, oftentimes in conversation, I've shared with Bob what happened in, in a, a visit to the prison and in the preaching and in the response of the men to the preaching. And it's, it's been a huge source of joy. When we recognize that by the power of God's grace, Bob Dindalk was a grateful servant of Jesus, we have to also recognize that in his divine providence, God provided an ideal partner for Bob in service. And it'll be 49 years ago this Sunday that Bob and Nellie were joined together in marriage. And it has to be said here today that without Nellie, Bob could never have served the Lord like he did. Her gifts of hospitality, which those of you who are here from Hanford today know very, very well, were the perfect complement to Bob's gifts of meeting people and, and being a blessing to them in his own unique way. And Nellie, I'll say it again to you, Ev and I have often given thanks to God for your unique and beautiful way of partnering with Bob for the sake of the gospel and especially now for your sacrificial love and care for Bob during these last 14 months of his battle with cancer. Together, the two of you have been a huge blessing to us all. Bob asked me to reflect for a few moments today on Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. We hear the word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage speaks to all of us of running the race of faith in Jesus. And it is not an easy race. Often when death comes, a particular death marks a chapter of change in our lives. And for many of us, Bob's death does just that. And so we need some coaching for the race ahead in this new chapter of our lives. The writer to the Hebrews is like a coach. He admonishes us with the voice of the very one who ran that race perfectly. And he begins, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are this cloud of witnesses? Are they the people who've already completed the race, the heroes of faith? 
mentioned in Hebrews 11. And almost certainly that is the case. The word therefore links us back to the previous chapter which described heroes of faith we know well. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses to name a few. And the truth is that we are all helped a great deal in running the race by knowing that these heroes of faith have gone through far greater difficulty than we have. And that's how Bob saw it. He sent me a letter that he had written to a doctor and his wife in May. He sent it just a couple of days before we left on our vacation to Alaska and I've been reflecting on it. I want to uh, share what he wrote in part. He said, I want to close with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It is a passage that I preached on in prison also, but since being sick, it has taken on an even greater meaning. Picture yourself coming into a huge arena. You are terrified. How am I going to run this race? I'm at the end of my journey. I'm tired and so weary. There's no way I can do this. And then you look at the stands and there are Peter and Paul. There are Abraham and David. There are all the heroes of faith talked about in the 11th chapter. There's a whole host of people who have gone before. Some of them we knew. They are cheering for you, but they are doing more than that. They are not looking just at you, but they are looking to Jesus. No matter how tired and weary you are, no matter how you think you cannot run this last race, there is one at the end of the race calling you to run. Run as hard as you can. I will be with you and I will take your hand at the end of the race. That one is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And what's more, he has run the race and run it with great faith because of the joy that was set before him despising the shame of the cross. But the final thing is, he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. There he intercedes for us to bring us home and finish the race. What a glorious picture. I feel tired and weary at times, but these verses cause me to press toward the mark. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's how Bob saw that cloud of witnesses. Now you could also make a case for the cloud of witnesses being the people who are watching us run the Christian race. We need to run well because they are following our progress. Bob and I talked about this early in January. I had preached on this text on the last day of 2006 and I had emailed the sermon to him. And by the way, he loved the word. He got sermons from CJ every week on CD, and I emailed him a couple of sermons, and I think another pastor mailed him sermons on a regular basis. He loved the word. And I had told him that I thought one application of this text was that he was being to, called to run the race well to the end because so many people were now watching him. His running could encourage his children and his grandchildren to continue to run the race well themselves. And so I think here we have a cloud of witnesses who are both heroes of faith who have gone before us and 
people who are watching us. And they can all help us as we engage in the long run of the Christian life, especially as we take those final difficult steps. Several exhortations follow. Let us throw off everything that hinders. You know, when a person runs a long race, he needs to get rid of everything that weighs him down. And, and I, I know you who know Bob fairly well know he had big feet, 15 Size 15s. And I, I just have this picture in my mind of Bob trying to run a race in size 15 waders. It would be just impossible. Now, sometimes it's our preconceived notions that hinder us. Sometimes it's our past that weighs us down. Sometimes we're hindered by an unwillingness to change or to forgive. And we're told to get rid of those things. And then the next Hebrews says, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Imagine trying to run a long race with untied shoelaces. We would always be tripping and falling down. In the race of faith, there are some sins and, and they are different for each and every one of us that threaten to trip us up. And we need to deal decisively with them. And then a third exhortation says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As Christians, we need to learn to keep on going even when the going is very difficult, including the greatest difficulty of all, death. At times, we're tempted to quit because of opposition, because of of things that come along. And our biblical coach says, keep on running, run with perseverance. Because when we're in a long race like the Christian race, one fall doesn't mean that the race is over. If we fall flat on our faces in the Christian race, we need to to learn to look up from our bloodied knees at the Savior and confess our falling and failure to him. And then reach out our hand to his as he extends us and helps us get back up and puts us back on the course to continue the race. And if somebody knocks us down with an undeserved and thoughtless criticism, we need to learn to look to the Savior who himself experienced those very things. Bob wrote that these words moved him to persevere even in the face of death. Our biblical coach also advises that while we run, we keep the race course markers clearly in mind. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now every one of us has our own unique race to run, but in general the, the course has been marked out for us all in the scripture. And God has given us clear markers to follow in the race of faith and to make sure that we're on the course, the right course. We need need to be reading that course map, the scripture every day. The most important part of running the Christian race is spelled out in the final part of the passage. It's, It's the secret to endurance and the best help to staying on course. Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to learn to look to Jesus every day. It's not so easy for those of us who have that sort of independent Calvinist streak in us. When Jesus ran the race, he kept that final goal in mind. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He fixed his sight on that, on the final joy that would be his. He kept thinking about the prize of his father's approval. It allowed Jesus to endure the shame of a cursed death on the cross. A man came up to a guy who was laying bricks and he asked him, what are you doing? And the guy said, can't you see I'm laying bricks? And then the man walked over to another bricklayer on the same job whose quality of work was obviously much better and he asked, what are you doing? And that second bricklayer replied with pride, I'm building a cathedral. Both men were doing the same thing, but the one man had the final goal in mind and it it helped him do a better job. It helped him provide better service. Jesus kept the joy of perfect obedience to his Father in mind and it gave him the strength to endure the cross and to run with perseverance. And the second thing to note about Jesus is that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Bob said it exactly right. We can run the race and serve our God faithfully with perseverance because we know that Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, not only for our salvation, but interceding for the grace for us to run with perseverance. And because Jesus is interceding for our salvation and for our running of the race, we are enabled and motivated to run faithfully all the way to the end. Just before Easter, my daughter sent me uh, words to a new contemporary song and uh, I discovered that it was on a uh, a CD by Keith and Kristen Getty, and so I bought that CD, and unexpectedly, the third cut on it was a song that I'd never heard before, but a huge comfort to me when I first heard it, because immediately it made me think of what was happening in Bob's life. It's entitled, Jesus, Draw Me Ever Nearer. The words are written by Margaret Becker. And the music on the CD is sung by Kristen Getty, played by Keith Getty. It goes like this. Jesus, draw me ever nearer as I labor through the storm. You have called me to this passage and I'll follow though I'm worn. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. And at the end of my heart's testing, With your likeness, let me wake. Jesus, guide me through the tempest. Keep my spirit stayed and sure. When the midnight meets the morning, let me love you even more. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. 
And at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness, let me wake. Let the treasures of the trial form within me as I go. And at the end of this long passage, let me leave them at your throne. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. And at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness, let me wake. For Bob, the race is over. His final difficult steps were used by the Savior to prepare him to awaken in heaven in the perfected likeness of Jesus. For us, the task remains to serve our Lord with perseverance and to run the race that he has set before us. As we come to the close of this meditation, let us praise God for his love and his grace poured out in such abundance in Bob's life, in Bob's salvation, and in his running of the race, and in his persevering service. And let us plead with the author and the perfecter of our faith to help us run our race as well. Out of deep gratitude that Jesus has run his race of facing the wrath of God against our sin by enduring all the way to the end of his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Pray with me, please. Almighty and gracious God, Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we may come before the Father, we thank you for the gift of grace that you gave to Bob Dindalk, not only in his salvation, but in the comfort that in life and in death you made him wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for you. And Lord, we pray for ourselves here today, for Nellie and her children and grandchildren, that they may continue to run their races with perseverance. And when the sting of death bites hard, lift them up and carry them forward. And for all of us, Lord, who go on in a new chapter of living because you have taken to yourself a friend, a leader, a man with great wisdom and discernment, we pray that we too will run, not looking to Bob Dindalk, but looking unto Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we be motivated out of deep gratitude 
for all that you have provided us through Jesus. In his name. Amen. One of Bob's favorite hymns comes out of the Orthodox Presbyterian hymn book, the uh, Trinity Hymnal. It's the Sands of Time. And I'm going to ask that you stand and sing the four stanzas, please, of the Sands of Time. Bob Dendulk confessed and died in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is right that on this occasion we should express our faith to the watching world. So let us use the words of the Apostles' Creed and let each one of us say from the heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again, the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray together. O Lord our God, we do believe in the resurrection of the dead and of the life everlasting. And we are thankful for the comfort that it brings to our souls to know that our dear friend Bob Dendal is now enjoying that everlasting life in a whole new way, in a whole new clarity. And although our grief continues, O Lord, we pray that you will comfort us with that assurance, not only for him, but for everyone who is in Christ Jesus and has found in Christ the perfect Savior. Hear us, for we pray in his name alone. Amen. After the singing of our last hymn, I'd ask the uh, congregation to be seated while the family exits. The family will be in the social hall where there will be light refreshments, and you are invited to greet them there. Let us praise God now with this song, Because He Lives.
Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.